0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. Welcome to Lubbock's IMAX Theater. Pretty intense, huh? That's good. Welcome all of you. Bless you if you're a guest. We'd love to have you here. Just some thoughts for you. When we sing the song of miracles, the Lord always speaks to my heart on that. says the reason we don't see miracles, a lot of times we don't believe for them. And I think if we'll just get our faith out there and, you know, even when it comes to healing, you know, the Bible says there in Mark 16, lay hands on the sick in my name and they'll recover. I don't believe we believe that either. Because if we believe that, people would come running and say, man, pastor, lay hands on us, anoint us with oil and pray the prayer of faith over us. And so it all comes back to this, that I got to get over into faith and begin to believe God. And I believe that's what God wants us to understand as believers. He wants to do miracles. And so I encourage you, man, begin to welcome his miracle power in your life. Well, if you need a Bible, get your hand up real high. Get your hand up. Our ushers will get you a Bible if you need one. I ask you to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Now, we're going to talk about crisis today. And every one of us in this room, we experience a crisis in our life. Sometimes crisis is self-inflicted. We do stuff by our choices, but other times we have crisis just... Because of this thing called life. And the way I respond to crisis will reveal a lot about my heart. And so just think about this. While you're in in crisis, do you draw near to God? Or do you run away from God? Now to get where we're going here, let's begin in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 50 years in Jerusalem. Now let me briefly tell you about the guy named Manasseh. He was the 14th king of Judah out of 20. Most believe he was the worst king of them all. (laughs) What a title. Why? Because he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nation whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, we talked about this guy a few weeks ago. It's not because their unemployment was crazy and interest rates were bad. It's because he chose to do evil. Verse 3. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. And he raised up altars for the bells and made wooden images and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. And he served them. Now understand this, his father Hezekiah was a man of God. But he chose not to follow the same example that Hezekiah had left him. Verse 4, he also built in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he caused the sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the Son of Him. You know what that means right there? He literally watched his children be sacrificed to these false gods in fire. What a guy. Keep reading. He practiced Susain, He used witchcraft, sorcery, consulted mediums, and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image in the, of the idol which he had made in the house of God crazy to think that right here in the house of God, he brought this idol in. So we end right there. We go to verse 21, the same chapter. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. He reigned two years in Jerusalem, so he was the 15th king. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he literally begins to follow the example of his father. And their nation is full of immorality. And idolatry. Keep reading. For he sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh made, and he served them. He did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh humbled himself, but Ammon trespassed more and more. Now, understand this when you get over into sin and even wickedness, it, it literally becomes a snowball effect. It keeps, bigger and, it keeps getting bigger and bigger until we confront it, where we look at our lives and we say, Father God, we need help. We begin to call out to God. We ask God to grace us and forgive us. Now, watch how his life ends in verse 24. Then his servant or his own officials conspired against him, killed him in his own house. They assassinated him. So I read that rather fast just to get to say this right here. So you begin to see in the land of Judah... Because of these leaders pushing sin on people, they're in great crisis. Their land is in bad shape right now. Now we start in chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. It's interesting. 8 years old. My grandson's 10. It's a scary thought. Just the thought right there, just kind of sidetracked. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of the father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, I I want to highlight that just a little bit here. Because he's in transition by the way of Christ's. And I believe we're safe to say that literally Josiah is leading a nation that's in the valley of the shadow of death. But in this situation here, even though his father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh weren't godly examples, something began to strike in his heart to say, I don't like the way my life is going. I don't like the way our nation looks. And I I remember years back in my life, I began to look at it and I said, There's got to be more to life than what I'm doing. And as a teenager, I was dominated by sin. That's all I knew was sin. But here in this situation, this young king, it says here that he began to say, I'm going to do what's right. So in saying that, it's it's never too late for you to say, I'm going to start living for God. Verse 3. For in the 8th year, now he's a whopping 16. His reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, in Jewish laws, a, a young man or young woman at the age of 12 becomes viewed as an adult, or that's the point in life where you start becoming held accountable for your choices. So he's at the age of 16. It says he's young. He's young here. But it said he began to seek God. And Hebrews eleven six says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I'm, I'm never too young to start seeking God. And, and this young guy, he begins to flow in the wisdom of God. And, and the only thing you can say about the wisdom of God was because he sought God. Now, all you young ones in here, I, I encourage you, begin to seek God right now where you're at. And I'm going to give you a, a brief scripture here this morning that you should live your life by. And it's an easy one to memorize. It's 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. All twos. And it says, flee youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. And if I'll flee youthful lusts, I'll I'll never be dominated by those youthful lusts. I like to say it this way. If I don't open my life or my heart up to youthful lusts, I'll never have to shut the door in that area. But if I don't flee youthful lusts, then I'm going to battle these things over and over in my life until finally I come to a place where I walk in freedom. And there's many adults right here in this room that are still battling youthful lust. That's not saying you're a bad person. I had to battle youthful lusts because I opened the door to them. I was around my brother the other day, and he had a guy on his staff, a young guy, 25, 26. And the guy got married, and, and, and my brother doesn't know his past that well, but he came back and he started boasting about his honeymoon, and he said, man, pastor, my honeymoon was incredible, incredible. And he said, tell me why. And he said, because me and my wife both married as virgins. I tell you guys, it rocked me in a good way. When I see the guy, I'm going to say, dude, give me five, man, that's incredible. See, very seldom in our society anymore do you see two, let alone one, but two of them. And so you know what I see in this young man and his wife? They honored God, and so they never opened the door to sexual immorality. And if you never open the door to sexual immorality, you'll never have to close that door. I wish I could tell you I'd been that way. So you begin to see this guy at a young age, he begins to seek the Lord. Now watch this. And in the 12th year, he's now 20 years old, he begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden image, the carved images, and the molded images. So okay, he's in crisis, his life's in crisis, and he begins to seek God. But not only does he seek God, he begins to purge his life. What does purge mean? It means to clean out. It means to begin to get rid of the junk in your life. And I think oftentimes when we go in crisis in life, we're we're okay about seeking God, but, you know, Lord, I, I I don't want to get rid of certain things in my life. What's the matter with a little sin as long as it's just every now and then? And so he begins to purge himself. Now, for time's sake, I'm just going to really really explain verses four, five, six, seven, because what he does, he begins to get rid of all the wicked things in the nation. He begins to clear all the things out that cause people to sin, "What's the matter with sin?" Well, in, in Romans 6:23 it says, "The wages or the compensation of sin is death." And so he begins to realize, we've had leaders that have pushed us to the things of sin, but he said, not no more. Verse number 8. And in the 18th year, he's now a whopping 26 years old in his reign when he purged the land and he purged the temple. That's an interesting phrase right there. That not only did he purge the land, he purged the temple. You know what that tells me? There was junk going on within the church you know when I read that I said lords purge us purge this house rid us of anything that's religious rid us of, of prejudice rid us of being better than thou rid us of that junk okay and so he began to see all those things now in saying that in reading that is there things in your life that need to be purged? Is there things in our life that you know God has dealt with me and he's dealt with me? i got to get it out of my life. And so he purged the land and the temple. Then he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah and Maslin, the governor of the city of, of Joas, the son of Johaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord God. And so what he does here, he sends these leaders in, And they begin to repair the house of God. And for time's sake, jump with me to to verse 14. I encourage you to read all that. There's a bunch of names in there. If I say them, I'll butcher them. Ooh, they'll be bad. I'll give these guys new names. Verse, Verse 14. Now when they had brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So they're, they're, they're repairing the house of God. And while they're repairing the house of God, they come across the, the word of God. Verse 15. Then Hilkiah answered and he said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Now, this is good in one sense, but the other, it's very scary. Because they're talking about the house of God. So this shows me, That the Word of God wasn't in their life, but the Word of God wasn't even in their church. They just now found that they didn't know. So how many years had this been going on? So when you read into this, literally, I believe, the crisis in their life was because they didn't have the Word of God. And when I don't have the Word of God in my life, I get off track. I don't care who you are. The Word of God keeps my life on track. The Word of God is like a GPS and as long as I obey the word of God, it keeps taking me, keeps taking me. I have a GPS in, well, Shelly has a GPS in her car. And I was in Dallas last week, and you know, in most GPS's, when you, you, you get to the place where you're going, it will say, destination arrived, destination arrived. But that day that I was in Dallas, it said over and over, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. And I said, shut up. You know, as a man, we never get lost. I don't need directions. Do you think you ought to go into 7 Eleven? God, no. And so I don't know how many times it said literally on hers, make a legal U turn. I'm going to make an illegal U turn, not a legal one. So, literally, what that GPS does. It keeps me on track if I obey it. See, it's the same as the Word of God. When I become indifferent to the Word of God in my life, I'll start living by circumstances and chance. I don't want to live by circumstance. I don't want to live by chance. When I follow this book, it becomes the blueprint of my life. And so again, you begin to see in these people, there's no God, there's no Word. Kind of sounds like, America, woo. verse 16, so Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, all that was committed to your servants, they are doing. Now, do you know an unread Bible is as useless as a lost one? Let me say that again. An unread Bible is as useless as a lost one. Get in the word and God will get into you. Keep reading. So he goes on to say, And they have gathered the money that we have found in the house of the Lord and delivered it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. He gave me a book. Now understand about the Bible. The Bible is just not a book. The Bible is the word of God. It's God breathes. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God, it's alive. And it's powerful and it's sharper than any two edged sword. You know, Jesus himself said in Matthew 4 4, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it wasn't just a book. So understand this. This is this young uh, ruler named Josiah. He's now somewhere around 26. And he's never heard the word of God. That may be you today. You may never have heard the word of God or you've never put it in the, it's not too late. It's not too late to start getting into the things of God. Keep reading. Verse 19. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Now understand this, that that in the Old Testament, when it talks about them tearing their clothes and putting ashes on, it cut his heart. He began to hear the truth and it cut his heart. And when he tore his clothes, I, I, I believe to a degree it would be just like this. That when he heard and speak the word of God, he fell to his knees. And I believe he began to repent. And he began to cry out to God because of the grief that he realized they had lived. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you became so grieved at the sin of your life. The shame in your life. I've been that way. I mean, I I can talk about my sin right now that I used to live. It's not anything glorious. But there's stuff that every one of us in this room that have done. And you say, I pray that nobody ever finds out about that. Well, somebody's already found out about it. And his name's God. And he loves you. And he wants to forgive you. So literally, this was a heart that repented. This was a heart that said, oh, Father God, I don't want to live this way anymore. Then the king commanded Hilkiah and these other guys and whatever their names were. in Verse 21. Go inquire of the Lord for me, for those who are left in the Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath, great is the anger of the Lord that is poured out on us. Now, God doesn't get angry at us for no reason. So why was it? Because. Here's the because factor. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So the problem was they quit hearing the word of God. But not only do I have to hear the word of God, then I got to begin to obey it. Verse 22. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah. The prophetess. Get this, okay? Holda the prophetess. That means she was a woman. I didn't know women could hear from God. I didn't know women were called to God. And all you got to do is read your Bible. I'll, I'll say this right here today. One of the greatest teachers that's taught me in my life is a woman named Joyce Meyer. And so, I mean, I don't know why we have such a big issue with this stuff. That's that's man-made crap. That's in the Greek, okay? Okay, that's probably the best way I can say it, all right? Okay, we better move on before Pastor really gets in trouble. The wife of Shalem, the son of Tokath, the son of Hasher, Please don't name your kids these things, okay? The keeper of the wardrobe, she dwelt in Jerusalem in second quarter, and they spoke to her that effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity or disaster on this place and its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. This was Judgment. He said, I'm telling you, the day is coming where there's going to be judgment that's going to be thrown out on this nation. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. What's the matter with a little sin? Verse 26. But... As for the king of Judah who sent you to choir for the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender. Because your heart was tender. You know, this is a prayer that I pray over my own life. Lord, I I want a tender heart. I want a tender heart and... I invite you to come pray with us tonight if you would like to. But I I encourage you, when you begin to pray over all these ones that you put on here, none of us can change them, but we sure can begin to pray. Lord, I pray they have a tender heart. I pray, give my children a tender heart. Give, Give my family members a tender heart. Give my co-workers a tender heart. Something happens when, when I have a tender heart. It's like that, that God plows my heart and the seeds of heaven can begin to get in there when I have a tender heart. So it said he had a tender heart and he humbled himself before God when he word his words. You know, there's, there's only two, two ways that we can go in life. He gives grace to the humble or he resists the proud. That's James 4, 6 is where that's at. But Josiah said, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. And he said, you heard his words against this place, against the inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. So here's this king who takes over in great crisis, and not only does he begin to seek the Lord, he begins to cry out to the Lord, And he begins to repent and he humbles himself. Now watch what happens here in verse 28. Surely I will gather you to your fathers. And you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. You know what God promised him? You'll go to your grave in peace. And I won't allow you to see the calamity or the disaster that's going to take place until you're gone. You know why God said that to him? In Genesis 18, there was a man named Abraham. Known as the friend of God. And God was on the verge of destroying a land called Sodom because of their sin and their wickedness. And Abraham looked at God and said, God, would you destroy the land if there were 50 righteous? And God said, no. And Abraham became an auctioneer, and he said, 40, 30, 20, he got all the way down to 10. And he said, God, would you destroy the land if there were 10 righteous? And when you read the passage, there wasn't even 10. But God didn't destroy it. So literally right here, the reason God doesn't pronounce judgment on people at once is because the righteous. You know why God hadn't come down on America so hard? Because there's still some righteous. Yes, hallelujah is right. Thank God. But you know what? I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish with the things of God. There's a dying and a hurting world right here in America. And that's why we're here. We're the salt of the earth. And so God begins to change the environment of a nation because of a king who began to cry out to him. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 just some things that we'll end with here today a couple passages in Hebrew that I, I believe will speak to your heart this morning may identify you today Hebrews 2 verse 1 therefore we we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard we, we must pay careful attention to the things we've heard why? Least we drift away. The New Living says, least we drift away from it. I, I can't drift away from what the Word of God has spoken. I, I can't live a life of, of casual belief. See, you see, a lot of times we, we stroll into churches. And we have this thought that it's just a Sunday duty. We can't live casually. I'm telling you guys, we've got to begin to rise up and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to hold fast to these things. I don't want to drift away. Keep reading. For if the word which was spoken through angels, how, that's how God gave the, the law to Moses, it proves steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience, every sin... Received a just reward, a just retribution, a just payment. So he's telling us right here that the day's coming that every one of us in here, we will be given a just retribution for the things we've done here on earth. But look what he says in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now you know what that means? I can't get away from what Jesus did for me. Jesus paid a huge price for it. I don't want to neglect the things that He's done for me. I don't want to do those because when I do, I begin to drift away. Hebrews 10, and we'll end with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. Now, when I look at that right there, and he says, don't cast away your confidence, he wouldn't have warned me that if that wasn't possible. And it has great reward. In other words, hang on to it, okay? It has eternal rewards. For you have need of endurance, of perseverance, of steadfastness, of patience. Listen to this definition of it. The capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. To actively resist weariness and defeat. You have need of endurance. Yes, I do. Why? So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After I've done it. For yet in a little while, He, Jesus, is coming... And will come, and he will not tarry, he will not delay, he's going to come. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, cuts and runs, turns away, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back, who turn away and run. We don't draw back to perdition. The word perdition means to destruction. I don't turn away to God or from God to my own destruction, but of those who believe of the saving of the soul. So you know what he's telling me? You got to stay the course. You got to stay the course. See the things of God aren't just a Sunday thing. See too many times we have the mentality, I'm going to be a saint on Sunday, but I'm going to be a sinner on Monday. No, it's a it's a full-time deal and when you study Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, it's literally two choices or two roads. There's one road, it's like a fork in the road. One road leads to death, one road leads to life. One leads to blessing, one's the cursing. Jesus says it this way. He said, there's a road that's, that's wide, and many are on it. But it's the road that leads to destruction. But there's a narrow road, and he said, few are on it. But it's the road that leads to life. And I will tell you this. If you have in the back of your mind, being a Christian is easy. It's not. If it was, everybody would be doing it. But it is the road that leads to life. And so I've got to come to this place just like Josiah did. Where I've got to begin to ask myself some hard questions. What road am I on today? Am I on the road on the popular road that leads to destruction? i got to ask myself this question. Have I come to a place where I've drifted from the things of God? How about this? Is there anything within you right now that seeks God? Do I seek God? Do I repent? Do I tear my clothes and say, Lord, I don't want to live this way anymore? Father God, give me a tender heart. Just share some things before we sing another song here. I get where there's times in my life that I I began to really cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I I need to hear from you. I need to hear where you want me to go. I, I said, Lord, I, I want to preach what you put in my heart. So I was in here praying one day last week, and the Lord just really began to move in my life, begin to move. And I said, Lord, I seek you today. I want to seek you today. I want to know you. And he said, Go back. And get a pen out and begin to write. And when this takes place, guys, it, it's like the word of God just becomes life. It's like God is standing in heaven and He's just speaking to me. It becomes becomes so clear, so clear to me. So this happens one day last week, and the Lord said, "You've you've gotten off track." where you become so much more concerned about the things of this earth. You become so much concerned more about the promised land, the milk and the honey. But he said that wasn't what Moses is targeted. Moses' target was, i got to get in your presence, Lord. Nothing else matters unless I get into your presence. And so as I began to get into the presence of the Lord those days, and I, I just begin to soak in the things of God, I, I would begin to, to weep. And it wasn't a crying. It was just like my eyes would begin to leak. And I, I left here that day, and I was getting some cardio, and right as I was getting cardio, all of a sudden, the presence of the Lord would come upon me, and I would begin to weep. And I was in a public place, and I'd begin to weep uncontrollably. Tears would come down my eyes, and it was the presence of the Lord. I'm in a restaurant with my wife and all of a sudden, just the presence of God. And I begin to say, Lord, this is my heart. It's not about a title and it's not about a position and it's not about impressing people in your occupation and it's not about how much money we make and it's not about this club. Or that. Do I seek His presence? In Luke 10, starting in verse 38, there were two women. One's name was Martha. And Martha got caught up in the way we do of serving and just being busy. She got so busy that she didn't have time for God. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, chill, girl. You've missed it. That's the paraphrased edition. He said, Mary's found the good part. She sits at my feet and hears my word. And as I thought about that, I said, Lord, I don't know the last time I've just sat at your feet. Just to sit in your presence. And so many times in our life, we can, we can pretend to be serving God, but we're more out for the milk and honey than we are for the presence. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.